and talked to some students about their thoughts about government and God and religion and church and state. And it was surprising to me how, oh, because there's a lot of questions like, oh, should, you know, the church stay out of politics? And that's, you know, there's some, some clear distinctions we talked about last week. But people were very open to the realization that, wow, we need God. Like, we need, and we need, like, if people are people of faith, they have something valuable to add to the political process that our political process needs. And I was pretty encouraged by that, actually. Um, so last week, we looked at more of a worldview, like how should, as, as believers, how should we think about government? And what's the, how do, you know, how do, how do we think about that? How does government, or civil government, to be more technical, fit with the different types of institutions that God has put in the world to take care of things? Um, today we're going to talk about more our role as citizens. Uh, those of us who are believers in Jesus, what does it mean like? How do we engage in the political process, and what does that look like? So we'll do a little bit of review of last week, but we're going to be looking more on a practical level of, of, of what, what that looks like. Um, so there's going to be a lot today. My hope is that there may be, not everything may apply to you, but my hope is that there will be at least one or two takeaways that you, that you hear from God today, that there's something God has for you. And so, let, in fact, I just want to pray and ask God to speak to us. So let's, let's do that. Father, we look to you this morning. Thank you that you are king overall, and you've called us to be part of, of your reign, of bringing your blessing and peace into the world. Lord, I pray that the specific things you want us to catch, Holy Spirit, would you illuminate those and speak to our very hearts, in a way that helps propel us forward in the life you've called us to, and to honor you. Thank you for that, in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, let's look. Our, our key verse this morning is going to be from Matthew chapter 5, the, the Sermon on the Mount that Jesus, Jesus taught. And in Matthew 5, verse 13, Jesus said this. Jesus said, You are the salt of the earth. You are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the salt of the earth. The first thing to notice here that is really essential is that Jesus is speaking these words. They don't apply to everyone. He is speaking to his followers. He's speaking to people who believe in him. And so there's something, the thing we're going to talk about, about being citizens who, who touch the world around us in a positive way, including in the political process, that's not just like do step one, two, or three, but it's the effect of when God comes into our life, when we turn from our sins and trust in him and he gives us a new nature, there's something that happens to our, our very nature. And that's, part of that is this quality of saltiness. You are the salt of the earth. And what, is, what does that mean? What is, what, is, what is salt all about? Well, salt, there are at least two things that salt does. First is salt makes things taste better, right? Salt adds flavor. It adds a little zest, a little pizzazz. And, you know, that's, that's good because Christians, contrary to popular opinion, should not be dourness, glumness is not a fruit of the spirit, Okay. <laughs> 
being like super, super serious all the time, that is, that is not an indication that God is active and present in your life. There should be a life. It's just like salt adds flavor to stuff. It, makes, it brings spice and life and flavor. That's when God comes into our life, we should be bringing that joy and that zest and making things around us better. And so salt, you put it on, on meat or on your food, it kind of it adds flavor. It adds to the quality of the whole experience of everything around it. And so this is what Jesus is saying. You are the ones who are supposed to add to the quality of the experience of the world around you. Salt not only adds taste, but it also preserves. And in an ancient or Middle Eastern context, 2,000 years ago, that was a very understood quality of salt. There was no refrigeration, but you would salt your meat, and you could preserve it for long periods of time. And so that is another quality of Christians, that there's something about our very presence by the grace of God that is supposed to preserve our nation, Preserve our communities. Um, in the Old Testament, there was a story of God was going to judge the city of Sodom and Gomorrah. And Abraham came down to, hey, if they're just five righteous people, will you preserve that city? And God said, yes. If they're just five righteous people, I'll preserve that city. And I believe that is very much the case today. That our nation is preserved by the presence of a whole lot of really good godly people that God has. That it adds something to our nation and other nations the presence of, of God's people. So you're the salt of the earth. So this is, you know, one, one grain of salt can pack a great punch. It makes a difference. And more grains of salt together really have an impact. And this is in the political process, as well as a political arena, as, long as, as, as well as other arenas. Jesus goes on in verse 14 and says, You're the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. And so, the assumption here is that, or the calling is that as followers of Jesus, we should be salt and light. We should bring light to the darkness. And... That there's no reason to exclude the political arena from that calling. There's a whole lot of darkness in politics, right? So all the more need for, for Christians to be involved in the political, political process. And so um, the biblical blueprint is for us to be, to be salt and light in every sphere of life, including politics. So let me just, before we go a little more detailed on that, I want to review what we talked about last week. This next picture is kind of the, the humanistic view of how government works. Apart from considering God and the Bible, there's the idea that really government is the, the pinnacle. It's over everything. There's no authority above government. It's however that comes to be. It's the it's civil government. And under that is education, welfare, individuals, businesses, healthcare, media, music and arts, and families and, and churches. Our civil government is, is the pinnacle and everything else is controlled by and kind of power is consolidated in that sphere. The biblical blueprint of government is different than that. It says that Jesus is king over his creation and he has five key spheres that he has instituted through which his government works. And so civil government is a very important sphere 
We talked about this last week, Romans 13. God has established it. It's for, for safety, for order, for the general welfare of people. Government officials are, are actually ministers, the Bible says, for, for our good. But it's one of five. It's not the whole enchilada. So you've got, along with, along with government, you've got families, which was the first institution God made. You have the church, which has a role of really teaching and equipping people in every sphere. You have, of course, individuals, which is where it all starts, is individual self-government. And then there's the marketplace, the business arena. And all of those are really important. And, and then from that, there are other things like welfare, education, media, arts and music, all of that. But there may be other places than we assume should have influence besides just government. And so um, we're called to be salt and light in every sphere. And so in the political arena, that just the basic assumptions would be in America, hey, there's a calling to vote. There's a calling to vote well, to be informed and, and vote. There maybe we were, we actually were going to have our friend Pam McDermott here today, who's running for city commission in Douglas County, or county commission in Douglas County, but she ended up having too much going on, as you can imagine, so she wasn't able to make it. But many, God may call, God calls many believers to run for office, or maybe to, to call your political officials or talk to them. We have here in Manhattan an office of a senator, U.S. senator. And a while back, I finally, for the first time in my life, visited that office because I was so just irked about what was going on with immigration. I was like, I need to have a conversation with someone here. And it was pretty amazing. You just like walk in and talk to someone. And right there, one of the hundred senators in the U.S., and you can just go talk to them. So there's, there's, there are ways, right? You know, engaging in the discussion, engaging in the conversation. Man, there's a, there are a lot of voices out there talking about what should be happening with politics. Every reason why believers should be intelligent, well-reasoned, grace-filled voices as part of that conversation. Um, we could go on and on. Voting, volunteering, serving in community, political organizations, more, a lot of places like that. Um, the first Supreme Court ju Chief Justice in the U.S., John Jay, said this. He was also the second governor of New York, and he was a really effective advocate to end slavery. Actually, they ended slavery in New York during his lifetime. Through a, he was integral in that process. Um, but he said this. He said, Providence, or the hand of God, has given to our people the choice of their rulers, and it is the duty, as well as the privilege and interest, of our Christian nation to select and prefer Christians for their rulers. Wow, that's interesting. He said, hey, like we are, God has given us this great country. We have freedom. Before that, he was saying, hey, throughout history, you tend to, we tend to be run by tyrants who just like go to war and do what they want to do on a whim. But we have a responsibility to prefer Christians as our leaders. Because, not because there's like some like privilege that, oh, well, you know, they should have the advantage and not have to be as qualified. But no, because they should be the most qualified. Because they should be the people that are the best leaders, that provide the best leadership. And I've been thinking about this recently in Manhattan. Like, we have a, a pretty vibrant church community across Manhattan. A bunch of solid churches, with thousands of believers. Like, why don't we have believers who are the best candidates for office every time there's a city commission, county commission, school board race? Why don't we? That's, man, it it's indicates that maybe we're like, 
not stepping up to the plate. Maybe we're not raising up people to be influencers and leaders the way that, the way that we should. Um, Going to get more to that a little bit later, but a good question would be like, hey, in 10 years, could we? Could we? You know, could we as a church have like raised up some people that are not power hungry, but public servants? They're like, hey, we are some really quality people to serve the interests of our community. I want to look at I've never done this before, but the rest of what I'm talking about today is going to be kind of based on the life of a person who's not Jesus and who's not in the Bible, but I think is a really good model of engaging in the political process and really from the biblical blueprint. And it's someone I kind of have a little bit of a just, not crush isn't the right word because I'm a married man and she's a married woman and all that, you know, but... So just in case you're nervous, Reagan, it's not, it's not that. But the current nominee to the Supreme Court, Amy Coney Barrett, the more I've learned about her, I've just been so impressed. Like, this is a quality person. Amy Coney Barrett is a, a Catholic. Um, I'm not a Catholic, has some differences with, with Catholics, but she is a genuine believer. Actually, in two weeks, we're going to have another good Catholic friend of ours come and bring the message. You're not going to want to miss that, Marco. Um, so, but, got distracted there. But Amy Coney Barrett is the current nominee for the Supreme Court, and to step back from all the politics around that, she is just like pretty exemplary, I think. Okay, I could be wrong, you know, there, and she may drop the ball, things may change, but for now, based on the evidence, there's a lot of good things that we can look at and see some biblical principles of how to engage in the political process and how to be salt and light, really how to be salty citizens in our world. And so we're going to look at several qualities that God calls us to be as, as salty citizens. Um, not salty like ticked off, you know, kind of got an edge, but salt, like what Jesus said, to be salt and light in our, in our communities. And so how to be a salty citizen. Um, first, lessons from Amy Coney Barrett. First, know love and serve God. You know, this is, this is where it all starts from. Jesus, when he was asked, what's the most important commandment? In Mark 12, Jesus said, the most important commandment is this, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. That's where it all starts from. Seeing it's, it's, it's loving God, and our engagement in the world, our engagement in the political process is out of our love for God and desire to see him honored and his will be done. A couple, in 2006, Barrett was, was giving the commencement address at, at Notre Dame Law School, where she was an instructor. And these are just a few quotes from, from that talk. She said this, she said, A legal career is but a means to an end, and that end is building the kingdom of God. Now, this is, that's true for whatever our career is. It really is to be a place of expanding God's kingdom and influence, uh, demonstrating God's kingdom in the world. No matter how exciting any career is, what is it really worth if you don't make it part of a bigger life project to know, love, and serve the God who made you? If you can keep in mind that your fundamental purpose in life is not to be a lawyer, but to know, love, and serve God, you truly will be a different kind of lawyer. And so that's the starting point of it all. First, know, love, and serve God. With politics, everything, the, the point of it is honoring and serving God 
in that arena. As you can imagine, there's been a little bit of pushback about this. When, when Barrett was nominated for the, uh, the federal court, her, her current position, three years ago, she got some intense um, questioning. And Senator Dianne Feinstein, at one point, was questioning her about her religious faith and kind of questioning, hey, are you going to be able to be fair-minded? And Feinstein said, the conclusion one draws is that the dogma lives loudly within you. And that's of concern. And it, was, it ignited a whole discussion, like, well, you know, what does that mean? But you got to realize, if, no, the more, no matter how gracious you are, there is going to be some pushback to our first priority being to love, know, to know, love, and serve the God who made us. That's the first thing. The second thing that makes us salty citizens is to develop impeccable integrity. Develop impeccable integrity. Oh, this sounds like a lot of work. This sounds like hard. Um, but it's essential. If you have been following politics, you should realize, man, this is really needed right now. This is really needed. Um, there's Actually, I saw a study recently. Most Americans now would say that what you do in office is more important than your character. And it's interesting, because I remember when I was in college, President Clinton was, had just become president, and that was a big debate, and the older generations were really making the point, like, no, character really matters, because there were some character flaws that were exposed with President Clinton. And but the, the, the pushback that was becoming more prominent in our culture was like, well, your personal life doesn't matter so much, but it's what you do that really matters. What's interesting now is that the older generations in this survey overwhelmingly said, well, what you do is much more important than your personal character. But it's the younger generations that are saying, Generation Z overwhelmingly says, no, really, your character is more important than what you do. And so I think we're seeing this vacuum, this realization that, no, who are you? We've seen a lot of baloney. And we, we can see through it, and we're looking like for the quality of your life and what really happens. Integrity is who you are on the inside matching what you do on the outside. Proverbs 16.32 says that he who is slow to anger is better than the mighty, and he who rules his spirit than one who captures a city. It's kind of easier to think like, oh yeah, I can like capture a city. I can like be the president of the U.S. I remember being a kid and thinking, I can be the president of the U.S. Now, I can't really handle my anger very well, but I think I could handle managing this whole nation pretty well. You know, that's, that's just our, the deception of sin. But it has to start with our individual self-government. I love with, with Amy Coney Barrett how her, just even her whole philosophy of what the court systems are supposed to be all about really exemplifies a lot of integrity. She has an originalist judicial philosophy that would say, it's not about us, like, as judges, deciding what we think the law should be. We don't make laws. We just say, this is what the law was, and is it being upheld or not? This is what the Constitution says, and our job, regardless of our personal preferences, is to uphold the law. I know that should be kind of obvious, but that has not been the, the standard for our court system for the last 70 years or so. Um, there is a, you may or may not have heard of Noah Feldman, but he's a, he's a very liberal attorney um, and columnist. He was actually part of the impeachment team that was, that was pushing the impeachment of, of President Trump. But he wrote an article that was in Blue, um, published on Bloomberg about a week ago, and he said, hey, we should, we, as much as I disagree with a lot of her viewpoints, 
we should definitely confirm Barrett to the Supreme Court. And this is why. Because she has a lot of integrity and some other reasons. And he says this. He says, it's better for the republic to have a principled, brilliant lawyer on the bench than a weaker candidate. That's Barrett. I disagree with much of her judicial philosophy and expect to disagree with many, maybe even, maybe even most, of her future votes and opinions. Yet despite this disagreement, I know her to be a brilliant and conscientious lawyer who will analyze and decide cases in good faith, applying the jurisprudential, I'm not sure I said that right, but I'm not going to try again, <laughs> principles to which she is committed. Wow, there's the power of integrity. Someone says, hey, I, I disagree with her, but she has a lot of integrity, and she's going to be faithful to carry that out, and that's what we should want in our candidates. Um, I love even more so how Barrett, when she had, she was pregnant with her fifth child, and they did a prenatal test, and it, the prenatal test showed that this child had Down syndrome. And there was the opportunity, and oftentimes there's pressure to end the pregnancy, to terminate the pregnancy. But and nobody probably would have known, nobody needed to know. Here she has a very difficult life, full family, very difficult legal career. Her husband's a federal attorney as well. They got a lot going on. They made a decision, no, we're going to keep this child and we're going to raise him. And they now have an eight-year-old boy named, named Benjamin who has Down syndrome, who she says is the favorite of their whole family. And so she's not only pro-life when it comes to the law, but living it out in her personal life. And so that's, that's really what integrity is all about. What do you do when there's a cost? What do you do when nobody's looking? What do you do with, uh, with sexual integrity? We're actually going to be looking at that for the next, next four weeks. That's, that's, that's so important. Proverbs 22.11 says that the one who loves integrity of heart and whose speech is gracious will have the king as his friend. The one who loves purity of heart and whose speech is gracious will have the king as his friend. And so God calls us to have integrity and to develop that. And out of that, we have influence. We can be salty citizens. That ties right into the next characteristic I want to hit on about salty citizens, which is develop unusual people skills. And by unusual, I mean not that you're really, 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 really awkward. Not that unusual in that way. But you have good relational IQ and, and people skills. Did you know that the, your, in, your IQ, there is, no coro, there is not a correlation between intelligence, like mental intelligence, IQ, and career success? There are a lot of smart people that don't do so well because their relational IQ is not so good. But the biggest indicator of success in your career is your relational intelligence. There is direct correlation between that. Similarly, doctors, there's not a correlation between how competent a doctor is and how often they get sued for malpractice. There's no correlation. But there is a direct correlation between the bedside manner of a doctor and how well they get sued for malpractice. So you could be a poor doctor, but if you're good with your patients, they're not going to sue you. All right, good, good moral. Now, the goal is to be good at both, all right? But it's, it's so important. Um, and that's what's so cool right now is that people are having a hard time coming up with anything negative to say about Barrett. Now, I'm sure they will. You know, I'm sure there's, there's still plenty of time. But 
It's like, this is a person who the people, not only is she good, but people around her like her, no matter what their political viewpoints are. Um, Feldman said this, he's the Noah Feldman, said, to add to her merits, Barrett is a sincere, lovely person. I never hear her utter a word, I never heard her utter a word that wasn't thoughtful and kind. He, he did an internship with her, a fellowship at the Supreme Court 20-some years ago. Um, I never heard her utter a word that wasn't thoughtful and kind, including in the heat of real disagreement about important subjects. Man, I, people couldn't say that about me, I, I know. But it's amazing, they're saying that. She will be an ideal colleague as well, someone to work well with. She, when she was at her, her last time she was up for, for approval, 450 of her former law school students wrote a letter endorsing her. That's, I mean, that's not many professors have that many students that would give them a good recommendation, right? She's got 450 saying yes, like this is someone we want you want to have in that position. Um, Colossians 4, 6 says this to all of us. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt. There's that saltiness again. Let your grace, let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer each person. That's a quality that is sorely lacking in our world, but God calls us to be leading in that. Even Jesus, we're told in, in Luke 2.52, that as he grew, we're told that he increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. Part of his development was his growing in his relatability and people skills and being someone that people just liked and had an affinity for because they knew he liked them. And no matter where we're at in that, God has the ability to give us grace to grow in developing unusual people skills. Next one is develop your gifts and your calling. We talk about this a lot around here. Um, but develop your gifts, develop your craft. Everybody has a unique calling. You may or may not be called to be uh, on the Supreme Court or in the legal profession, but you have different gifts, like Reagan talked about this morning. You have a calling. You have, there are skills that God has given you, or at least natural ability, it can be developed into skills. And whatever that is, whatever sphere you're in, develop that to be salt and light. Um, Proverbs 22, 29 says, Do you see a man skillful in his work? He will stand before kings. He will not stand before obscure men. Proverbs 18, 16 says, A man's gift makes room for him and brings him before the great. How, how do we be salt and light? Well, we better be good at what we're doing. That really helps. And that's not just like overnight. That's working on things. That's practice, 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 practice. Developing those skills so that we have something to add a value to the world around us. Uh, I was so in, encouraged. Uh, now, I wasn't surprised, but a lot of us know Rob Zima. He was part of our community until here in, 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 until last January, um, this past January. It was part of our pastoral team. And he um, really developed a lot of his, um, his tech skills and his, his serving here with our church and his teaching skills. And then he ended up feeling like, okay, I think God, you're calling me to teach. And he got a job at Cloud County Community College in Concordia. So he's been there just over one semester. And he texted me a few days ago and said, hey, guess what? They're asking me to be the dean of the department. I was like, wow, you just got there. But I'm really not too surprised. Because you've been developing your skills and your gifting and your calling. And that's, that's what God wants to do with people, is bring them to the forefront of influence wherever he's got them. So develop your gifts and calling. 
Um, Barrett's certainly done that, and Noah Feldman talked a lot about that. So actually he said this, of the 30-some clerks that year when they were clerking on the, the Supreme Court, all of whom had graduated at the top of their law school classes and done prestigious appellate clerkships before coming to work at the court, Barrett stood out. Regardless of what you or I may think of the circumstance of this nomination, Barrett is highly qualified to serve on the Supreme Court. She's got the goods. She's put in the time, she's got the skills. She's qualified. Next quality of salty citizens is salty citizens not only are in the political arena, but they excel in other spheres. Back to, let's show that diagram again. Um, next, yeah. So if we look at civil government, church, individual, family, business, to be part of the political process, it starts in your personal life, and then with your family, and then your church community, and then maybe you have something of value to add in the, in the, in the civil government arena. Your business, I skipped business, but I shouldn't have skipped that. Um, all of those things are really important. It's interesting that in the early days of America, and we may see this as being backwards, but there was wisdom to it. In the early days of America, to vote, you had to own property. And we were like, man, that's so discriminatory. You know, and, and there were reasons they changed that. But the rationale was, hey, if we're going to give you a stake in ruling our nation, we want people that have ruled something smaller first. We want people that have exercised responsibility for something. So if you are, like, are, are handling finances, property, your job, your family, those things, that gives you the wherewithal to do a better job of engaging in, in, in public service as well. Um, in 1 Timothy 3.5, Paul says, if anyone doesn't know how to manage his own family, how can he take care of God's church? And so just the, the assumption is, hey, to, to, have, to be a leader in the church, he's talking about elders here, church leaders, he say, hey, you need to manage your own family well first, and then you have something in the church realm. The same is true in, in the governmental realm. Um, Ken Barrett, she's, she's kind of from outward appearances, seems to be a rock star when it comes to this. Um, almost too good, almost like, look, don't really show us this picture. Like, that's just a little too nice of a family picture. You know, here's, actually, we have her family picture. There's seven kids, actually, and two working parents, and there's just, when you hear their story, like, they've managed to balance all that and prioritize all that quite well. Um, so they're also in her, in, her in her church life. She's not only part of her local Catholic church, but she's part of a group called the People of Praise that is a, a charismatic, interdenominational group with high levels of community and accountability, and they give 5% of their income to this, this group. They, they, they have a mentor. They're involved in community service. There's just a really very much working out their faith in the community around them, just as we are all called to be. And so... Excel in other spheres, and that leads to having something to say in, in the civil government sphere. Two more. Hit these real quick. Serve others. Be a salty citizen. Serve others, especially the overlooked. Serve others, especially the overlooked. Public service really is service. I was, about a month ago, I was talking to a friend of mine, Ben Cormanic, who lives in Alta Vista, just up the road, and he and we were talking about this whole idea of Christians and politics. And I forgot. I brought up the topic. And I was like, oh, yeah, you served on the school board there. Council Grove School Board for 
quite a while. And he's like, yeah, I did. That was really intense. And, and, um, and then somehow he said, hey, you should, I, you should run for city, city something sometime or run for, run for public office. I was like, heck no. <laughs> like, that just doesn't, I mean, maybe president, that sounds a little more glamorous, but like city commission, school board, like that's just a lot of boring, hard work. Like, that's why don't people run for these offices? Because it's not very glamorous. It's a whole lot of work. It's budgets and real on-the-ground decisions. That, but you know what? That's what affects people's lives the most. It's public service. And so serve others, especially, especially the overlooked. Um, the biblical blueprint for us is to care for others, especially the poor, especially those who are overlooked, especially those with special needs. Look for, man, who are the people in my community where there's a need? And um, in Galatians, Paul wrote about this, and he was talking about the church's priorities as they were facing important decisions. And he said, the only thing I asked was that we should continue to remember the poor, the very thing I had been eager to do all along. That's the priority. Look for ways. Look for ways to consistently help us. If, you, if you're like, man, I'd like to help some people that have needs, I've got, I can point you to to some people or some opportunities. Um, there, there are places you can babysit a young family and help free them up for things. There are some people with some health issues. There are some places where, man, if you gave like an hour or two a week, it can make a huge difference in someone's life. And so Barrett's doing this, she's doing it with her own family. They, two of their kids were adopted from Haiti after the earthquake there and all the trauma. One of them, the, the daughter in that picture, and they got her at, I think she was three years old. Um, no, she was 14 months and severely malnourished. They told her, they told the Barretts that she would probably never be able to walk properly or talk properly. But the Barretts adopted her along with her brother, who was, who was three, when they got him. And um, the daughter, amazingly, she not only can walk, but she's a track star now. She's in great health. But they were willing to just say, hey, here's the people in need. What can we do? to make a difference in their life. And that qualifies you to have broader influence in the world around you. International students, sick, elderly, lonely, babysitting. There's so many opportunities. Um, ask me if you need, need help on that. Um, and then the last thing I want to say here, to be salty citizens, and really that Barrett emulates this well, is develop your faith. Develop your faith. Being salty starts with faith, because it's a work God does in us. It's something he, he does inside of us. But it starts with faith, and it has to end with faith. And one of the things I've been the most impressed with, just reading some of the stuff from Amy Coney Barrett, is just her, her faith-filled attitude and tone in her words. She's a person who's handled adversity, handled challenges, lived with a lot of responsibility. But there's this sense that, you know what? God can do it. God can do it, and God can use me to be part of this process. A verse that I've just been meditating on and confessing to myself and our family recently is Psalm 138.8, which says that the Lord will fulfill his purpose for me. The Lord will fulfill his purpose for me. And to be salty citizens, it comes down to, man, do I believe that it's not up to me, ultimately, it's up to God, and if I have faith in him, he's going to do through me what, beyond what I could ever do by myself. 
Do I have faith? And I just love this optimism and this just hope and this kind of can-do spirit that Barrett seems to have. Because it's a mark of all followers of Jesus. There's this, as we walk with him, there's this like, yeah, you know what? Life's tough. My life's rough, but I got this. I got this. You know, not that we're, not that we're there every moment, but that that's the general attitude that we can live with. Is that, man, I can, I can deal with life. I can manage my own happy. I can be happy, not based on circumstances, but based on Jesus because of my, my faith in him. And I can, I can live out this belief that there is a calling for my life. And I can go through my day and knowing that, you know what? My life is making a difference. And I, I have something to bring to the world around me because God is in me and he's chosen me. The Lord will fulfill his purpose for me. So we got to develop that too. If we want to be salty citizens, we need to be people. The world is so desperate for people of optimism, people of hope, people of joy. That comes from faith in God. And we, we are called to be those, kind of, those kinds of people. So if you're like, man, I want, I want that. I need to develop it. Well, it starts from really spending time with God, reading his word. Find somebody who has that, though. Someone who lives that way more than you and say, hey, tell me your secrets. Mentor me. Coach me. Help me to grow in being a faith-filled person. I want to live that, live that too. All right. Man, I know I'm in a room full of a lot of people like this and living this out. So I just want to encourage us, wherever we're at in our spheres, in our world, God's called us the salt of the earth. And whatever that looks like, we can keep making a difference. Um, yeah, I'm going to pray for us. Let's pray. Lord, thank you your calling. Thank you for, as we follow you, putting something inside of us that we can't do ourselves. And today I ask that you would open eyes, open our eyes to see even our individual callings in fresh ways and our calling together to be salt and light. Lord, would you just continue to help us and lead us and transform us in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. Well, before Jenny comes up, I want to give a couple updates and thoughts about kind of unrelated topics. But following up from two weeks ago, we talked about the whole idea of just wanting to make sure that we are being, staying on our mission of knowing that it's not only about us, but it's about our call to reach and serve others. And looking at the whole possibility of, hey, should we move to two services on Sunday mornings to create space for, for more people to come, especially with the social distancing that we are having in place to a degree? And um, yeah, I forget what else I'm going to say. But is there room for that? Is there room for, for volunteers, like just like places for people to serve? And so we had a couple, couple benchmarks of like, hey, if we get 70 people for a couple weeks and X number of volunteers, and as we've been looking at that, we're a little bit short of those benchmarks. And we don't quite have the volunteers to do that. And we're not quite at that number of attendance on Sunday. So we're going to hold off. I'm moving to two services. We're just going to keep doing our best to, to spread out and invite people and keep growing. Um, we've had great response, though. So I just want to say kudos on that. Um, and if we do have... Uh, and with our volunteer teams, we've had some people really step up, which has been so helpful in our mission. And I would say this, if you're still like, oh, I wanted to do that, or I'd want to serve somewhere, 
especially on the, the people that sit in the back there, our, our video team, our computer team, and then the, the sound team that like manages the sound system, we could really use a couple more people in each of those groups. So um, if you want to talk to me or someone else who's on staff with, with Blue Monitor called The Greatness, that would be great. We're at the Welcome Center. Um, but we're going to just keep believing to move towards that point where we have to make some tough decisions. But we just want to keep like, using the space for now. And in two weeks, we might be like, oh, shoot, we gotta, we got to do that. Um, and on a sort of related note, I want to talk about maybe the most difficult topic for me to talk about in all the world. This is maybe more difficult than sex, which we're going to talk about for the next four weeks. Um, I want to talk a little bit about masks. All right? And I'm kind of joking, but it's just, it's kind of funny. But one of, there's been more drama and I've had more conversations um, about this whole challenge of like, how do we deal with the whole mask wearing um, protocol? And how do we view that as a church? And I really, I, I've wrestled with this myself. And I think it's been a difficult topic. I mean, there, I appreciate and personally, I'm in the place that as soon as the mask ordinance is over, I don't expect to ever wear a mask again in my life. You know, I'm like, I don't like masks. Um, so, and I think there's genuine, like, there's less and less mask wearing in our culture because more and more people are saying, you know, the, the statistics show that the risk for the vast majority of people is really, 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 really low of something serious happening to most people. And I, I, I think that's true. I'm very thankful for that. At the same time, we've, I've had more and more conversations with people who've told me this. They've said, hey, I've, I came on a Sunday morning, and I'm just not going to come back right now, because I'm just uncomfortable with how many people aren't wearing masks. Or, um, I mean, that's, I, I, that's the gist of it. I've also had just conversations with people like my neighbor last night on our street, who he hasn't been in his office. He was in his office twice in September. And other than that, he was at his home. And he hasn't talked to anybody, hardly, until out on the street yesterday, except for people he works with. And they're just, and we're like, you this guy? Like, I can invite him to church. Like, he really needs it. Like, he is lonely. He is, like, ready. I think he might come. But I think there are just a lot of the people that are most in that place. Maybe it's the most important for them to to see more people that are wearing masks because I think that will help them. And so I just want to encourage, we're, gonna, we're not going to enforce or require anything. Um, we, there, is, there are reasons, there are good reasons not to wear masks, there are health reasons, there are conscience reasons, and we're not going to be sticklers about any of that. We want to honor room for all of that. But I want to appeal, like, I, I want to say I think it would be helpful for us in serving the people that we're trying to reach if, we, if more of us were wearing masks on a Sunday morning. So I want to lay that out there. I, another, um, I think this can only happen, like navigating this, I heard from another pastor at the early, beginning of COVID who said, you know, this will test our unity as churches more than probably anything we face. And that's been like kind of true in a lot of churches. Um, I, John Jay, that first Supreme Court Justice of the U.S., I ran across this quote of him this week, just about how we really, it takes, it takes God. It takes like, his spirit in us to live these things out well in a community. He said this, he said, I think we have it on the a quote up here, he said, no human society has ever been able to maintain both order and freedom, both cohesiveness and liberty, apart from the moral precepts of the Christian religion. 
Should our republic ever forget this fundamental precept of governance, we will then be surely doomed. So, like, cohesiveness and liberty, order and freedom, we need the grace of God to walk in this. And the Apostle Paul, a very similar situation, he talked about this weird topic of eating meat sacrificed to idols, which was kind of like this, but he said this, um, he said, though I'm free from all, I've made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. To the Jews I became as a Jew, in order to win Jews. To those under the law I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel, that I may share with them in its blessing. And so that's really the attitude we want to have. That, hey, we want to do whatever we can to love people well. And I am personally of the opinion that this is a way for us to love the people we most need to reach the best. And so I just want to encourage us to take that into consideration. All right. Got through my sex talk there. Good job. All right, Jenny, send us home.